summer officially over. For students of all ages, beachgoers, and capital region folks with pools, maybe. But the autumnal equinox doesn't officially click on for another two weeks or so. Most farmers markets and ice cream stands are still open through October. Coming up on this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over the week's top headlines. And it's predicting that home heating bills in our territory will rise 39% this winter. We'll get the latest on the discovery of the remains of a local teacher who went missing in March. Her car was abandoned, uh, it was unlocked, and then there were her hiking boots and it was a wintry day. And the Shoppertoonist joins us with some tips for football fans to help save money during the NFL season. If you wait and purchase your tickets about two weeks in advance, you can save as much as 30%. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast, a look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. Right now, let's discuss what appeared in the Times Union and on timesunion.com this week. Back again are we with Times Union Editor-in-Chief Casey Seiler. Let's talk about the top headlines. We'll start with the fact that the COVID-19 boosters that cover off on some of the new strains are now in the capital region and available uh, at pharmacies and doctor's offices. Can you tell us more? Yeah, these are the new bivalent COVID booster doses that are showing up in pharmacies right now and, you know, arriving in stock just as a new subvariant, which is BA 4.6, of course, is um, taking hold all across the, uh, the Northeast and in other parts of the country. Both Pfizer and Moderna are offering these, and um, they say that while there are some age differences they're for you know people who obviously have completed their initial their, you know the primary vaccine series and have received their last booster dose at least two months ago, and if you've had COVID recently, you should wait three months. Of course, we say that because uh, so many people, at least you know here at the Times Union, we've noted that the last couple of months um, have really been sort of the um, the toughest in terms of people um, showing up positive. Happily, while some of those cases have been kind of rough, hospitalization rates both in, in our organization are, are very low and they remain kind of uh, similar to the low points they were at about um, a year ago. So, um, you know, if if you haven't been boosted yet, get boosted. And these new shots seem to be the way to go as we deal with this, you know, constantly mutating virus. Speaking of low hospitalization rates and low positivity rates or lower positivity rates, that has led Governor Kathy Hochul to Uh, do something this week involving public transportation and masking. What happened? Yeah, on public transportation, it is no longer required to wear a mask, and that is statewide, subways, buses, trains, uh, you name it. 
uh, and the governor is citing those uh, lower levels of uh, infections in saying that people are now free to, you know, make their own health choices on public transportation and to please be respectful of people who continue to wear masks and as well as people who do not wear masks on public transportation. Mask mandates remain in place for healthcare facilities and nursing homes, uh, you know, hospitals, whatnot, which of course is a reflection of the fact that many people there are in immunocompromised states. It also means that uh, children on buses to school um, will no longer have to uh, have to wear masks as well. And it's clear that this is, you know, being timed to a lot of the questions that are being asked as kids head back to school. The bigger question here is whether or not the state of emergency uh, will remain in place. the The current state of emergency. Uh, runs out, expires next week. And of course, uh, Hochul is under political pressure to end it. And we will just have to wait and see what happens. And what she has said is the same as what Governor Cuomo said before he stepped down, which is that these decisions are going to be based on the numbers. And of course, the numbers are the justification for lifting the mask mandate on public transportation. So there you go. All right, we will see. Stick to our Capital Confidential section on timesunion.com for the latest on that. Let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, looking forward to the weather starting to get a little colder. Uh, National Grid has given us some not so great news, or at least we've gleaned that there's some not so great news about heating prices this winter. So what can you tell us? Yeah, National Grid is the dominant power utility uh, in the capital region, and it's predicting that home heating bills in our territory will rise 39% this winter. That's an increase of about 50 bucks more per month over last year, as Larry Willison um, reports. That's no now, small amount. That is, it is indeed no small amount. It totes up to about 260 bucks higher over the five-month you know, winter period from last year. It's not good news. It's also not necessarily surprising news, considering what, of course, has happened to other fuel costs over the course of, you know, the really uh, almost the last year, but especially since the the Russian invasion of Ukraine jacked up uh, fuel prices really uh, globally or almost globally. It's based, the what National Grid predicts as the price is based on average use of 143 therms of natural gas a month. But of course, that can change based on the weather. If it's colder, the price goes up. If it's warmer, you don't need to uh, spend as much to heat your house. But it is especially tough as we are reading uh, all about all of the impacts that um, global economic trends have. Uh, this is one of those costs that falls much more heavily upon people at lower income levels because they spend a higher percentage of their income on housing, uh, utility costs, and food than do households that have more disposable income. So uh, not very good sign for uh, the winter months ahead. Indeed. All right, let's move over to something that was uh, a little bit 
more hopeful. A lot of people are looking forward to the fact that Chick-fil-A is officially, we've talked about this before, but now it's official. They're opening a location in the region. Tell us more. Yes, well, a second location in the region because, you know, they they had already announced that there was going to be a Clifton Park location, that that is, that's in the works. And now we find out that folks in Rensselaer County are likely to uh, get a, a new one as well. A permit has been uh, awarded to uh, a Chick-fil-A project at 502 North Greenbush Road, and this is on Route 4, accessible to to Route 4. It's a a huge uh, retail booming strip, very close to the I-90 connector. If you love those little chicken sandwiches, this is a reason to be joyful. Right across the street, basically, from the Cumberland Farms and very close to a Walmart, a Home Depot, you name it. And no airline tickets required. Yes, you are referring, of course, to the fact that the first Chick-fil-A in the region was on the far side of the security uh, barricade (laughs) at Albany International Airport. And we have done stories on people who would buy a low-cost airplane ticket purely to get in to buy huge bags of Chick-fil-A and then not even take the flight, just carry them right back out again, which seemed like um, a long way to go for a, uh, a moist chicken sandwich. You won't have to go so so much further now, just across the river or up the Northway. All right, cool. Casey, thank you so much. And we will check back in with you next week. Jess, thanks a lot. As always, you can learn more about all of the topics and issues we discuss on this podcast at timesunion.com. And you can follow Casey Seiler on Twitter at Casey Seiler, all one word. Let's move on now to talk about another story that has made headlines this week and for much of the last six months. In late March, a 42-year-old Delmar woman named Megan Marone went missing. The Shaker High English teacher was on a weekend getaway alone in western Massachusetts. This week, her remains were discovered in a wooded area in Lee, Massachusetts. But the question of what happened to her remains unanswered. Paul Nelson was the reporter on duty when the Berkshire County DA announced they'd found remains that were most likely Marones. A few days later, on Monday, it was confirmed that the remains were indeed Marones. Prior to those announcements at the end of August, Times Union reporter Kathleen Moore had written an article on what we all know so far about Marone and her disappearance. She was a writer, a poet, an ardent environmentalist, and an English teacher at Shaker High School in Latham. She'd been on a leave of absence from her job. Friends online intimated that she was struggling with her mental health, that she'd taken a break from work to gather herself and to get away from a male co-worker who was allegedly harassing her. The school would not release any information on the circumstances of her leave, They called it a personnel matter. Marone's brother, however, Peter Naple, told Western Mass News in April 
that he didn't know the full story, but he knew a little. Um, I do know that what happened at school caused her a lot of heartache. That was all we knew, until last Friday, when Paul Nelson picked up the story. You were there when the news first broke that there were remains. So tell me about how that went down. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, this is, like I said, just a tragic and, and sad story. Uh, Megan Marone is a teacher, an English teacher at uh, Shaker High School with the North Colony um, School District. And she had taken a trip, uh, driven from her home in Bethlehem, where she lived with her elderly father. As a matter of fact, I believe she was actually taking care of her father at the time that she took this trip. It was just supposed to be a chance for her to do some hiking and just kind of decompress and just, you know, rest and uh, relax. And uh, right, yeah, so she drove to Massachusetts, uh, checked into the Red Line Inn in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, uh, you know, checked in on March the 24th. It was supposed to be, you know, she's supposed to stay there up until I think March the 29th, uh, checked in and was supposed to go hiking. She talked with her brother maybe two days after she arrived on the 24th. His name is Peter Naples. So she spoke with him and by all indications, everything was going good. Uh, Then the very next day, you know, he tried to reach out to her. She wasn't responding. Then on the 27th is when law enforcement authorities located her car in Lee, Massachusetts at a park. Uh, The name of the park is Long Cove Park. It's roughly about 413 acres. It's a preserve there. And, you know, it's noteworthy because her car was abandoned, uh, it was unlocked, and then there were her hiking boots and it was a wintry day. So that obviously that caught the attention of authorities. And then, you know, that started a pretty intense search for her, you know, ex- extensive search for her. It was sort of a combination of many different law enforcement authorities, you know, up around uh, Western Mass there in Lee. And uh, they weren't able to come up with anything. And her brother, Peter Naple, who I mentioned earlier, he also um, coordinated a uh, search of volunteers and they pretty much you know, combed that area around Long Cove Park and still weren't able to come up with anything. Now, I, I should take a step back because her cell phone, the last you know, ping that they were able to detect, it was you know, around you know, that park. So authorities were kind of hopeful and it indicates then that she probably set off on, on the trail to go hiking. So uh, fast forward to this, past Friday, and it was the Berkshire District Attorney's Office, as well as the Massachusetts State Police, both put out uh, a news release saying that her body or the remains of what they suspected to be, uh, you know, Ms. Marone were, were found uh, in, in pretty much in that immediate area where, you know, they found her car. So just a sad story, like I said. Yeah, absolutely tragic. I mean, has there been any indication since her remains have been identified that maybe what happened to her? No, uh, there hasn't been any indications. And, you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions uh, as to exactly, you know, what happened. But law enforcement authorities have not released any indication of whether they suspect foul play or what have you. Uh, and that's just, like I said, left a lot of unanswered questions. And, and I, I spoke to Craig Apple because I should mention you know, he's the uh, Albany County um, Sheriff, and he had a search and rescue team that was a part of that effort to try to locate her. And like I said, that was, you know, up in the air and on the ground. They used canine dogs and drones just to, you know, any attempt to, to try to find her. And her brother, um, you know, he just became sort of her 
advocate who just was very fierce in advocating for her. You know, the family had put up a $50,000 reward for any information, you know, that would lead to, you know, her discovery. And he also set up a GoFundMe site, you know, to raise money. They, he hired a private investigator, you know, through the, the money that they raised uh, from the GoFundMe page. And uh, he also was on social media. I think she had, there was a Twitter page that he set up for hopeful that anybody who saw or heard her or heard any, had any information about her would at least come forward. So unfortunately, you know, it didn't pan out. And when I spoke to him on Friday, he was kind of, you know, resigned to the fact, uh, you know, because back then on Friday, uh, you know, they just suspected that was her remains. And, you know, it was actually confirmed by the medical examiner's office on Labor Day on Monday that it indeed were her remains. And uh, even when I spoke to him on Friday, he seemed resigned to the fact that, uh, you know, that was uh, his sister's remains. Was he surprised? I mean, I know he must have been, you know, obviously upset, but was he surprised? He was, he was saddened. Uh, I don't know if he was surprised. He was just very saddened because, you know, he was hopeful. Like I said, he had was active on social media, put up the reward, had the GoFundMe page. So he was still hopeful, you know, that somebody would see her, you know, that there, she would come back home alive. And, you know, this happened. And he's, you know, he's told me that now she's you know, resting with, uh, you know, their mother who had passed away, uh, you know, before uh, this all happened. There's currently no information on any memorials that may be planned for Marone. But what about the fact that she was on a leave of absence from work? How does that fit into the story now that her remains have been identified? You know, they were pretty tight-lipped about the circumstances um, around her because she had taken a leave of absence uh, when she disappeared. And, you know, there was a lot of questions about, you know, why she took that leave of absence. They had said it was pretty much, you know, the extent of their statement was that it was for personal reasons. But then there were some of her uh, friends that were posting on social media that apparently there was a colleague who might have been stalking her. And, you know, this was her chance to kind of get away from her. Uh, you know, get away from him, excuse me. So that all came out. And, you know, when the investigation was being conducted by the Lee uh, Police Department, they were the lead agency. Uh, and I got to give kudos to Kathleen Moore because she wrote an excellent story uh, in late August that sort of, you know, did a deep dive into some of the circumstances. And she spoke to the uh, Lee uh, Police Chief at the time. And he, you know, talked about the fact that as part of their ongoing investigation that they had looked into this colleague who was allegedly stalking her and they had ruled him out. He was never publicly identified, but they ruled him out as a person that might have been involved in her disappearance. You can follow Paul Nelson on Twitter at A. Paul Nelson. After the break, the Shopportunist has great money-saving tips for football fans. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe.
Welcome back. You're listening to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. Hey, football fans, are you ready for the NFL season kickoff? Times Union shoppertoonist Shannon Froma joins the huddle with us now to share a few tips for saving money on everything from tickets to TVs. The NFL kicked off literally on Thursday night, and this is the first big weekend of football that we're looking at here. Um, And you recently wrote about all the ways um, that you can watch football and save money. So let's talk about that. What are some of the things that that are going on? Let's start with um, the games themselves. Like if you want to go to a game, the ticket prices are pretty high normally right yeah so you know america's affinity for the gridiron game is gonna will be a blow to some wallets you know ticket prices are up but they've kind of always been high you know the average ticket price for an nfl game is about 150 dollars, according to data compiled by a uh, ticketing site SeatGeek, and that seems like on the low end and that's probably for really nosebleed seats um there are a few ways you can save if you wait and purchase your tickets about two weeks in advance, you can save as much as 30%. People are looking to unload if plans change. If you have a few friends who are fans of the same team, you can consider splitting the cost of a season ticket. Uh, New York Giants season ticket price, for instance, is just under $1,000, and that's good for eight to nine home games. So if you split that among, you know, one or two people, you're looking at spending about $110 uh, per person per game. Those, again, are nosebleed seats, but hey, it's better than nothing. You're in um, the stadium, right? Yeah, you're in the stadium. You're there. You get to experience, you know. <laughs> I've only been to one NFL game in my entire life, and I was 13 years old, and it was Aww. it was the Buffalo Bills. That's the only professional sport I've never gone to in person, pretty much because of the price, because it's so scary when I look at it. So, But yeah, like, you know, part of traveling to see a game in person is tailgating. Tailgating is also going to cost quite a bit more this year. A Wells Fargo report showed that, you know, with gas prices and airfare still high, transportation's up. You know, meanwhile, you know, bus fares remained relatively flat through this whole pandemic. So public transportation or chartered bus service may be the most cost effective way to go. You know, and when you're tailgating, you're often cooking food. I mean, that's kind of part of it all. You know, and food prices are up. We all know that. Chicken prices especially are high. You know, they're about 18% more than last year. But if you go for something like pork ribs, it's a little cheaper. Or you can just buy, you know, some stick with chips and dips on the go options, you know, because they tend to be lower cost. You can do party trays and veggie spreads, but just, you know, make sure you cut your own fruits and veggies and don't get those expensive pre-made trays. Um, Just handle it yourself at home. Wow, you really looked at this from all angles. But one of my favorite things to do is to go out to a local restaurant or sports bar, you know, to catch the game. Yes. All right. So let's talk about that. You know, there are a lot in this area that offer some great deals. A lot of them haven't really announced what's what's to come. A few have. Dawn's Victory Sports Cafe in Albany is offering food and drink specials during NFL games on Sundays. Rivers Casino has $4 beers during professional and college football games. Uh, One of my favorite places to go is O'Toole's in Queensbury because appetizers are half off and they also offer an array of drink specials. I know Peabody's in Saratoga Springs also features some wings specials. There's a lot around and that's one of the best ways to experience the excitement of football while not spending too, too much money. 
Exactly. You're around other football fans. Usually everybody's cheering or, you know, jeering, depending on what team right. you're playing. <laughs> and, and often there's like a little bit of rivalry, you know, if you're, you're playing a team, you know, someone the else Giants is Giants are playing exactly. what are their rivals. I don't know who their rivals are. <laughs> yeah. Who knows these days? I don't think there's too many, but my, I, yeah. I'm a big Broncos fan, so there's not as many of us around here. So um, oftentimes we're kind of like holding our own at a sports bar. So it's, it's a lot of fun. All right. But what if you don't want to leave your house? Well, that's actually probably the way to save the most money, obviously, because you're not going out and it is, you know, the cost of a television, if you're looking for an upgrade, that's really hasn't gone up at all recently. What has gone up are those cable and satellite prices and some of those streaming services. But the streaming services are going to be your best bet to save money. Sling TV, Fubo TV, uh, YouTube TV, and Hulu Live are your best uh, bets because they offer live in-market games. Um the NFL recently launched a new app too. It, it's called NFL Plus. You know, if you're okay watching the football game on a mobile phone or tablet, you can pay just $5 a month to watch all in market games, primetime broadcasts, and the playoffs. So that's a really economical option. Yeah, if like me, you're a fan of a team that's out of market, it gets a little trickier because, um, <laughs> you know, D- DirecTV offers the NFL Sunday ticket, but that's super expensive. I know if you have someone that's very techie available in your home, you can look into, you know, VPN services, but that's not us. So mm-hmm. you can always listen to it on the radio too, right? So exactly. Really- Follow it online. You know, there are ways and means you do what you can to support your team. And of course, if you are a really big football fan and still none of those options appeal to you, you could also go to college games, right? You know, there's one right here in our backyard. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a great way to experience the excitement of a live game without forking over a ton of money. And then you're also supporting kind of our hometown, hometown teams. Absolutely. You can go out to Massachusetts, you can go downstate. You don't have to, you don't have to root for you, Albany, but it is convenient. Right. And it's fun. Is there anything else? Keep an eye out. Fan gear is priced really well at this time of year. Now that the football season is underway, you know, there's a lot of good sales out there at Dick's Sporting Goods, the NFL shop, places like that. So if you're looking to suit up, you can do so for less. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall at Jess underscore on underscore ice on Twitter. We'll be back next week with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, or head over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. The Eagle is a production of the Times Union. It's produced and edited by me, Jessica Marshall, with help from the Times Union digital team and the newsroom. Special thanks to Casey Seiler, Paul Nelson, and Shannon Froma for their contribution to this episode.